Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 14th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Taunister told uh, the doll that uh, the reason the Minister for Justice and Equality, Charlie Flanagan, paid a visit to Drogheda yesterday was to speak to senior Gardaí in the town so as uh, to ensure they have the resources and power they need to be able to act in response to a violent feud that continues to wreak havoc. Drogheda was on fire last night as uh, the gangs went on the attack again in residential areas. Fire crews were called after two bad p- petrol bomb attacks in the Moneymore estate and to a third petrol bomb attack in Yellow Batter. These latest attacks follow another petrol bomb attack in Lawrence's Park on Wednesday night and add to uh, now countless number of similar attacks in the town in recent weeks. The chief fire officer for the county has said that these attacks are no different to firing a gun at another person given the risk posed to human life. Life appears to have little value to some in Drogheda now where at least three attempted murders have been recorded. Simon Coveney said on Garda Shia Khanna showed itself to have the capacity to deal with dangerous feuding criminals in the past. It has done that successfully, he said, in Limerick and it will also be able to do it in Drogheda. The government will work closely with the guards to ensure it obtains any resources or increased powers it needs to be able to do that, he promised. The Thonishtub was responding to Finnefall TD for Louth. Declan Branagh, who joins us now, and good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us here today. You raised uh, another issue uh, on top of what we've been hearing about thus far, uh, and how two members of Angarda Shiakana have been threatened. Yeah, that is my information as of yesterday, that um, two named Garda in the Drogheda area have been told that they will be murdered, and that in itself uh, is serious, but as you claim there, Michael, uh, the attempted murders to date, indeed the kidnapping and the intimidation that is going on in Drogheda is absolutely unacceptable. The decent people of Drogheda are in fear. We're getting phone calls to the office here from ordinary citizens who are living in the immediate areas where, where these things are happening, and Last night's example of where it has actually spread, as I've been saying, out into a village and villages in the surrounding areas. And what, what is happening in Drogheda, I've described as a powder keg, a, a pressure cooker, that if if the re- 
I fully respect that the Gaelic Shirkana under the leadership of Christy Mangan, uh, the Chief Super, are you know, providing all the resources that they have looked for into the area. I think what is really happening here is that uh, they're being squeezed, these criminals have been squeezed into a corner, uh, a bit like the rat, they're looking for uh, to take the revenge and uh, their escape route. Mm. And it, was, it was made clear to me a number of weeks ago that uh, these guys had indicated that they were going to go out with a bang. And certainly there's been a series of major bangs, uh, but uh, the threat to Garda life is absolutely unacceptable in, in this society. And I have to say, I... I I was a bit sceptical of uh, Minister Flanagan's visit yesterday because it was a, politi- a politicised visit. And I didn't know that till after I spoke in the doll. I have to say, uh, I, I feel, uh, uh, I know I know that the local authority and indeed the policing committee in Drogheda have been meeting mm. and have met with Christy Mangan and have been kept up to date on developments. But the minister's visit yesterday, uh, I got absolutely no indication of it. I'm quite sure Melda Munster didn't either. Uh, and I think that a collective approach by Dáil Éireann uh, would be more appropriate in terms of dealing with this. Yeah. That's why I raised it. That, 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 that sounds like fair comment and very unusual uh, for a minister to visit, uh, given the level of concern that there is in the town about public security, not to have said something to opposition politicians. Uh, it, it really does seem very unusual. Well, look at uh, I will deal with that in my own time, Michael. Yeah. But for the issue here, for but now, it, it, okay, tell and sorry, yeah. yeah, tell us about the threats to the Gardaí. Uh, where did you hear about this? Uh, well, I'm not at liberty to disclose. I, 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 I was uh, got a number of phone calls from a number of concerned individuals who had been told uh, that uh, that indications were coming from incarcerated uh, criminals uh, mm. that uh, named Gardaí uh, were under threat and as I said that is absolutely unacceptable from prison uh, well from from people who are in detention uh, I, I, I'm not at liberty to indicate mm. uh, where in detention but certainly people who are uh, both under observation and and under uh, the radar of, 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 of the state and were you but told the this issue- by the individuals who were threatened themselves you said there were two no. named Gardaí I'm not asking you to name them but I, I take it you know who the Gardaí are uh, I'm familiar with who they are. They are. I haven't spoken to either of them, uh, but uh, there is deep concern within the force and outside the force, and particularly for family members. Mm. Uh, but the place is crawling with cops. Why would two be singled out? Well, I suppose uh, their proactivity and uh, 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 people knowing them by name, obviously, who have obviously right. Been, uh, but they're all acting hard. under the same orders, aren't they? Absolutely. I don't think it would matter to these individuals. I think what they're trying to do is, as I've said, to go out with a bang. They're, they're caught in a corner, and that is because resources, and, and, and mm. resources not just of, of, of you know, right across the Gaudisha corner units have targeted these guys. But, Michael, that's not enough, and I know the people that are ringing my office, people I'm speaking to in relation to this, they're saying whatever resources are needed. I think the public mm. at this stage are absolutely, you know, believe... That, and, and have believed long before the delay. Long before, yeah. Uh, long mm. before. Long the, before. The, yeah. the, mm. the people the, in the Gardaí's economy mm. know these individuals, they know who they are. Yeah. And you have the same problem in Dundalk. It just hasn't ended up in a, a dispute, a, a turf war, uh, and that's what happens uh, when there's so much 
money, so uh, much drugs, uh, and indeed uh, then the weaponry that comes with it. Uh, and I suppose it's only inevitable uh, that it happens in some places. Drogheda uh, now uh, has erupted. Uh, but uh, there's reports this morning that the threat to these Gardaí has been recorded. What do you know about that? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I'm quite sure that the Shikana will deal with that. From well, my, that, the, my, in my, line with those reports, it says that the threats were recorded and that the Garda are expected to make arrests. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. That's news to me, and I haven't read uh, today's mm. uh, media or news. But I, I, what, what I want to say, Michael, in relation to people who are listening in here and people who are in contact, I'm sure, with uh, local local representatives, be they on the council or be the doll representatives, people are fed up that the powers that are needed to arrest and detain and charge these people who are known criminals, uh, you know, the law if it's not effective, needs to change. We, we had in the past the powers of detention and arrest uh, by, by, by the chief superintendent and on the word of the chief superintendent during troubled times. I'm not suggesting we go back to that, but the powers uh, of, uh, to the superintendent and chief superintendent of the Gaudi need to be reinforced that when they that they can pinpoint these individuals who are causing mayhem to the decent people in Drogheda. As you said, it's, 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 what's happening in Drogheda has become that powder keg and has become explosive. There are other towns. The minister mentioned Limerick yesterday. Mm. It's, he didn't mention Dublin because we know the Kinahan Hutchfield uh, hasn't been, has certainly not been uh, sorted out yet. Uh, and and as far as far as I'm concerned, yeah, but there's been very little trouble in Dublin recently, hasn't there? I mean, there's a very strong guard presence, and it would seem an effective guard presence in uh, the north inner city. Uh, we're told there's a, a strong guard presence in Drogheda. It doesn't seem to be very effective. Well, look at these guys. You you, you can't keep your eye on them all the time, and I'm sure. They yeah, have, but what, what, they what what's the problem? Is it these guys? Is it a lack of guardy, or, or is it uh, the way the guardy are policing? No, I'm, I was assured by uh, State Superintendent when I met him a couple of weeks ago uh, that all of the resources that were needed uh, would be delivered and that these uh, guys would... Okay, uh, and you've accepted and that then. That so, 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 so it's not the resources. So is it how the Gardaí are policing the issue or is it that the guys are untouchables? Uh, I think the guys are untouchables. I think the, the effect... Yes, yes, I do. God, I've heard, I've heard otherwise uh, from uh, fairly uh, well-informed uh, crime correspondents and so on. Uh, these are small fry in comparison to the Kinahan Hutch uh, individuals. Uh, and as I say, uh, Gardy have managed to keep a, a lid on it in North Inner City Dublin. I think these guys think that they are untouchable. The reality is that... Well, they, they are untouchable. Sure, they're running around with guns and firing shots at houses uh, in a, a town that's supposed to be heavily uh, policed uh, and four petrol bombs, bomb attacks in a, a week this week and, if I remember correctly, the same amount last week. Uh, these, as I said, guys are determined to cause as much destruction as they can in an attempt to... Un- but who's stopping the them? Activities of the, of the, well, the Gardaí Shikana are doing their best. The public also have a responsibility, as I've said on many occasions. But uh, they're not doing very well, are they? I mean, did they did they stop anybody from attacking a house last night? Uh, did they arrest anybody last night? Uh, all we know is that there was one petrol bomb attack, then another petrol bomb attack, then another petrol bomb attack. All in the one night. Where were they? Michael, you cannot police every crossroads in every village. Well, you can police uh, Moneymore, can't you? Two petrol bomb attacks in, in Moneymore. Ma- Michael, if people are determined, and you know it, whether it's your next-door neighbour or, or people two or 
three doors down. If people want to move around, they can move around undercover. And the reality is that the, the, the Gardaí Sikhan are doing the best. Undercover with a pistol firing shots at a house. And no, uh, no place to be seen. I agree with you, Michael, and what you're saying. It is incredible. And the people listening to us this morning are saying that it's incredible. But where, where people who want to cause this type of destruction, uh, it's like the old ad- adage, where there's a will, there's a way. And these guys only seem to know one way. And this is my view that the powers and vigour of the law need to be enforced. That these guys, when they are identified... Mm. I don't think there's the same level of policing that you'd have seen in Limerick, uh, the way the Tonish just spoke about how the Gardaí uh, clamped down on that. That took years, of well, course, uh, but I, eventually they got on top of it when eventually they gave the resources to it. They seem to be on top of it in uh, the north inner city, uh, but they're definitely not on top of it in Drogheda when you have three petrol bomb attacks at separate times in the one night. A small town like Drogheda. That's a question that the Chief Superintendent, I think, uh, is better putting that question to him. But my understanding from the response of Minister Coveney yesterday was, that, the, and I'm taking it mm. in good faith, that the visit of Charlie Flanagan yesterday was based, on my view, on identifying where more resources needed. And I'm quite sure those resources are needed if the, if the Minister in his Well, of course those resources are needed. Provided. If you can have three petrol bomb attacks in the one night, three separate incidents in the one night, and no petrol bomb attacks have been prevented on the same night, and nobody arrested on the same night. Do you not think there's something missing? Uh, you know, I could spit it on its head and say to you that these guys are becoming desperate because of the effect of policing that's happening. And that's they're what you desperate. think? You think that they're so desperate that they they just, I don't know, I don't even know what your point is, that they can't be caught. Where are the police? Uh, I, I, I believe they've been squeezed and squeezed effectively. They're not. Maybe there are more. Well, look, let's wait and see, Michael. I know the public out there, and there are, I want, don't want to see any more incendiaries or any more yeah. intimidation, kidnapping, shooting, petrol bombing incendiaries. The reality is that if people want to engage... In would you sleep upstairs in a house in Money More tonight? Uh, I certainly would sleep discontented and That's worried. the point, yes. It's not safe. Why have I raised it, Michael? I know mm. it's not safe. That's why I'm on your program this morning. <coughs> and, I, and I appreciate that, and I don't mean to give people the, any other impression than that, but, I'm, uh, you know, uh, having the conversation with you uh, uh, and wondering why is that the case, as I'm sure yeah. you are. Yeah, absolutely, because we have scum and individuals who have no respect for the decent people of mm. Drogheda and other areas. This has been ongoing. The intimidation of young people who have been sucked into the drugs, uh, 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 into, into drugs yeah. right across this county. And I've said this, it, it's, it's spreading into our villages and these guys know how to suck young people in mm. and they're using them as mules, they're using them as uh, 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 suppliers of drugs. To mm. And the guards know who they are. Uh, and why, yeah, the, the guards know who they are, but they're not following them, obviously. Uh, they're able to move around, whether they're desperate or not, uh, and throw petrol bombs or get someone else to throw petrol bombs at houses. Uh, there's nobody in the estates watching to see if anything happens all of a sudden. Uh, and uh, the uh, whole approach uh, seems to be firefighting. Uh, Literally. I, I would be very surprised when I'm not au fait with the operations of Angada Shia I'm quite sure there is covert surveillance happening and that these guys will be taken out uh, uh, over a period of time. I would have liked to have thought that it would have been sorted yeah. long ago. The indications from, from the 
officials that I spoke to were, uh, we will close in on these guys and we will effectively close them down. Are, are they moving the two guards out, uh, out of the town, the two guards who have had their lives threatened? Are they moving them out of the town and are they protecting their families? Uh, I would hope so. And, uh, you know, that's a matter for uh, operations and not a matter for a politician to answer. I think you want to put that again to uh, the superintendent, who I'm quite sure is not going to tell you the answer to that in terms of uh, for operational reasons mm. and to protect protect the individuals who are being threatened. Okay, uh, but you would hope that they are moved out of the town for their own safety and for the safety of their family and that protection would be afforded to their families. Absolutely. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Declan. Yeah, you wanted to talk about Dermot. Uh, we lost yeah. uh, Dermot, uh, obviously, during the week and uh, we'll be laying him to rest uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, and uh, uh, he's somebody that uh, you worked with uh, when uh, you were an employee here many years ago. That's right. I have to say that um, my fondest memories of Dermot uh, and every time I hear somebody saying hello there, he comes to my mind and I want to offer my deepest sympathies to his brother and sisters uh, on this very sad occasion. He was a friend to me and a friend to many. And I think the people uh, of Drogheda certainly embraced him. But it was, uh, I want to say, on behalf of the people of the constituency of Louth and way beyond, indeed, many people, even yesterday, and Dahl Aaron spoke to me about his how he touched the various country and western singers in, in their respective constituencies and how he was a friend to them and helped them in their mm. careers. And I think uh, he will be a sad loss, not alone to yourselves out of the station, but indeed uh, to many people, uh, particularly those who, who like country and western music, uh, both in, in, in Louth and across the country and indeed far beyond that. Mm. Yeah, he was a good broadcaster. He was a very nice guy. I was very sad to hear the news. And uh, uh, as uh, we are mentioning him, I think we should probably mention his biggest fan. Uh, and condolences, condolences uh, to Maria. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, I bad mentioned yes, uh, to Maria yeah, as well. Yeah. It was a lovely, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was speaking to Maria the other night and uh, obviously it's a, a, a hard time for her and the whole family uh, and condolences to her and uh, uh, Sheila who I'd know very well as well as sister but uh, we leave it there for the moment Declan and uh, I, I'm sure uh, many will come out uh, to pay tribute to Dermot uh, when he is laid to rest tomorrow. Thank you indeed for joining us. That's uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Louth, Declan Brannock. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's go to Brussels where the British Prime Minister Theresa May has been looking for reassurances on the Irish backstop. Uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, is on the line. Good morning to you, Minister, and th- morning, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, does the Prime Minister go home empty-handed? Well, I hope not. I, I think um, the Prime Minister came on as part of a, a general European Council where there are lots of other issues on the agenda. But last night, the main focus was on a meeting which took place where the Prime Minister outlined, I suppose, her concerns, the position that she finds herself in. Um, and I think most notably the concerns of her own Parliament, um, where we're starting to realise now and, and see that in particular the backstop, um, it's being felt by many in the House of Commons that this is going to be in some way used uh, the Irish issue as a way to keep the UK uh, connected to the EU in a way that they maybe don't want to be or that it will be used instead of a renegotiation of a, of a future political declaration. So what the Prime Minister thought was reassurance mm. that that would not be the case, that the backstop would be an insurance policy, that the EU27 wanted to move forward and to negotiate a future declaration and a political agreement um, following on from the one that we've already given For us, obviously, that has always been clear. It's always been the case. Um, But what the EU27, following on from their engagement with the Prime Minister, did last night 
was reaffirm all of those points. What the Prime Minister did not get, though, and, and this is, I'm sure, what you're touching on, was any uh, change to the withdrawal agreement. Um, mm-hmm. And in fairness to her, she was mm-hmm. not seeking that. She didn't ask for it. We had a meeting with her yesterday morning mm-hmm. before any of the other discussions, um, and she did not seek to reopen the withdrawal agreement or change it. She sought for further clarification that the future relationship would happen, it would happen as quickly as possible, and that we would hopefully never have to use the backstop, which again has always been our position and, and always been our, our hope and our plan. All right, just uh, explain the backstop to us, if you would, Minister. At the moment, uh, Ireland and uh, the United Kingdom are in the European Union, so we've uh, the same rules and regulations, we don't have tariffs, we've Uh, freedom of movement of goods uh, because uh, of the same rules and regulations. uh, But when the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, uh, all of that could change, couldn't it? Well, when the United Kingdom leave, and and obviously they're set to leave on the 29th of March next year, and that's because they put the Article 50 process in motion, which Mm. gives them exactly two years. So when they leave... If they leave with an agreement, and this is what we hope, there is a transition period where nothing mm. will change. So all of that that you've just outlined will stay the same. There won't be any barriers, checks, either mm. on our island or between the UK or otherwise. What happens then, however, is that we want to be able to negotiate a future relationship mm. that will ensure that that stays the same, uh, particularly on the island of Ireland. In the absence of that, the backstop is there to make yeah. sure that if we don't, either within a reasonable time or if we don't manage to negotiate a future relationship that ensures there is no hard border, it comes into play. The backstop that we currently have at the moment and that we've agreed, that signed off in the withdrawal agreement, says that there would be a shared customs territory. So Mm. initially the request had been specifically for Northern Ireland only. Um, I think EU27 moved in that and that it's now a whole of UK approach. That was at the request of the, the Prime Minister. But also you would have alignment in terms of regulation between the north and south mm. on our island alone in areas that were needed so to make sure that we don't you could be looking you, you'd be looking at different jurisdictions because they'd be out of the european union everything changes uh, a different customs uh, regime uh, there could be tariffs uh, between the two jurisdictions uh, there'd be different regulations maybe different food regulations and all of these things would need to be checked as goods passed from one jurisdiction to the other to make sure that they're in compliance with our jurisdiction, from our perspective. Uh, and that would mean that you'd need a hard border to put those checks in place. Uh, and that's what the backstop is. It's an assurance to say that that won't be there because they'll have the same rules and regulations uh, and effectively remain in the customs union. Well, absolutely. It would no. essentially mean that there wouldn't be those checks or there wouldn't be any requirement for them. But, I mean, the Prime Minister, and, and again, I suppose to take into account that government's change, mm. same here, Prime and- Minister's change, but the assurances we have at the moment mm. is that the UK isn't suddenly going to change the rules and regulations, their standards, whether okay. it's the labour regulations. And that might go on forever, though, Minister, and uh, this is the point that I want to come to. That might go on forever, uh, unless another way uh, can be found to deal with the obstacle of trading between the two jurisdictions. Uh, and Theresa May wants to be able to go back to the House of Commons and say, it won't go on forever. I can guarantee you it won't go on forever. Well, what she actually wants to, to ensure them is that it won't be put in place in the first place. And I suppose that is our... No, she, she well wants a legal guarantee that it won't go on indefinitely. No, that, that, that's not what she's, she's asking for. And, and she didn't ask for that yesterday, actually. What she asked for was further guarantees that the future relationship 
was going to happen. And mm. again, this is based on the fact that there is a real concern in the UK that the EU have no intention of discussing uh, well, okay, a future relationship. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what she asked for. Because okay, sure. Yeah, yesterday. She she didn't ask to reopen the backstop. She didn't ask to put a time limit on the backstop. She didn't ask to have a unilateral clause where they could pull out themselves. What she actually asked for was clarification and, and I suppose a firm commitment from the EU that when they leave that the backstop is not going to be used as I suppose the only solution for a future relationship and that's I suppose reflected in the conclusions last night where the EU again stated that we want a close relationship, that we're ready to begin the preparations the minute they mm. leave, so the very first day when they leave, that we start focusing on a future relationship, well, yeah. which would mean that essentially the backstop would never come into play. But, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. Well, what you can't give, and again, this is, I think, where she is finding difficulty at home, the withdrawal agreement is a legally binding document. It mm. is, by its definition, it has to be because they're leaving. The political declaration isn't. And again, it can't be because you can't have a, politi- you can't have a legal commitment mm. for a future relationship with a country that's still part of the European Union. But and it, so the difference there is that one is legally binding. Well, it, it, it's not possible to give a legally binding guarantee on a future relationship because they haven't left yet because we don't know how long it will take to negotiate it. We can give as much reassurances and and I think the reassurance and and a political declaration from 27 countries Mm. very publicly, this is not just something happening in a closed room, this is on the international stage very publicly saying we will do everything in our power to negotiate a future relationship as quickly as possible. Yes. And they expressly stated last night... And if it's not possible, there'll be a backstop put in place. Uh, And it's not possible to say otherwise. No one, and that's why we have the backstop, and I think that's Mm. why it's so important for us that if, given the time frame, and again, you have to remember, I suppose the Prime Minister Mm. has set out these timelines, the transition period is until the end of... Uh, 2020, Mm. but there is a possibility to extend that. They didn't want to extend it for any longer than what we've agreed, which is one to two years. So you do have a period of almost four years to negotiate, if that's what the UK Mm. wants, to negotiate a future. So Mrs May has gone... It might even never come into play. So Mrs May has failed. Uh, She's going home empty-handed. I don't believe that she is. Um, I believe that she came looking for uh, uh, reassurances and clarification, and, and I think that's exactly what she got. She didn't come and ask to reopen the withdrawal agreement, um, even though I suppose maybe some of the reports say that. What she asked for was political clarity and certainty, and if you look at the, the conclusions last night, there were five very clear points, one of them in relation to preparedness, which is not necessarily related to that, but the other four all absolutely very clear. We want to have a future relationship. We want to do it as quickly as possible. The backstop, we don't want it to come into play, but if it does, we have to make every effort to try and renegotiate something else. Mm. That would mean that the backstop would only be there for a short time. You know, I I understand concerns of some of those in the UK, um, but at the same time, when you have 27 countries very publicly giving a commitment to do this, that's that's what we So because there is no guarantee, uh, it is possible as unlikely as it may be, it is it is possible that a backstop will be put in place and it is possible that that backstop will be in place indefinitely. Well, the, the very nature of the backstop is that it could be there unless and until something else supersedes it. And I think the whole point of this is that we want something else 
to be in place firstly so that it never comes into play but that if it does ever have to come into play mm. that we both work to provide so, something that would supersede so, it so I mean the, so the Mrs. May's so Mrs. May's Brexit deal could mean that the United Kingdom will never be able to leave the customs union uh, and will never be able to have a, a say in drawing up rules and regulations and will have to abide by them. Well, no, I, I don't think that because... No, but it, it could mean know, that. Yes. But it could mean what that, we, couldn't it? Well, what we know is that if the backstop were, come into play, were to come into play, you would have a shared customs territory. And that has been agreed. The Prime Minister has agreed to that. Um, the Cabinet... Under European rules. And the 27 other member states. Under European um, rules. Under European rules, yes. but again, you have various... Which the UK will not have a say in, will it? Because it'll have effectively left the European Union, but a backstop will be in place. When the UK leaves the European Union, it's very clear, and, and I think it's very clear to everyone in the UK, they won't have a voice around the table. The meetings mm. that are currently happening okay. now, the well, UK will not be... Well, ju- 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 just confirm that clearly for his minister. It is possible, then, that the United Kingdom... Uh, will leave the European Union, but not the Customs Union because of the backstop, uh, and it will have to abide by the rules of the re- rules and regulations set out for them by Europe, and will have no say in drawing up those rules and regulations. That is always the case if you have a country that's not part of the European Union. But I mean, you have to look at other countries where you have Norway, uh, the type of model that they have, where they are part of the single market, but they but, do not sit around the table, and that is something that they are happy with. But, but that's, not, that's not the deal that the British have, is it? No, but we, no. we don't have any so, deal. We, we don't have a deal at the moment. But no, we but we have this draft deal, and, and it's, it's the only deal available, isn't it, Minister? Are, are, are you offering, are, is, is Ireland willing to offer a, a Norway-type deal? A Norway-type deal is for the future relationship. So what we're talking about here is not a future relationship. We're not talking about a deal as to what the future relationship will be. We have an outline of what we want. That's one that's close and comprehensive. We have always said the best way to have a close and comprehensive relationship is for the UK to stay in the single market and the customs union. They've ruled that out. But what we have here is part of the backstop, which, again, is not the future relationship. And I, and I have to stress that because... Again, I think in the UK, the view is that this is the relationship that they're going to get. This is the only deal in town. This is the last deal in town. This is for us an insurance mechanism to, and, and as he took very clearly, I think mm. I find it this morning, first and foremost, protect the peace process. It's to ensure that we have no border on our island, but it's mm. also to protect but, the European single market. So it's not just an Irish border, mm. it's the European border. So, just clarify that, Minister. Explain that. Just, I'm sorry, Minister. I'm sorry, Minister, just to, to, to cut across to you. Just if you could clarify that for us, uh, explain to us a, a little bit more. After the withdrawal, uh, there is a, a Norway-type deal uh, available. It's possible for that to be negotiated and agreed, is it? it? It's possible for any type of a deal to be agreed, Michael, because we haven't actually got on to that yet. What I was doing was explaining that Norway are not sitting around the table currently, but they are still part of the single market. So it's not unusual for countries to have because, a no, But we hear, but we hear politicians in uh, London saying, go back to them and negotiate a Norway-type deal. That is possible, is it? But that has to be negotiated in the future relationship. And again, this is where there seems to be a lot of confusion. The withdrawal agreement does not outline the future relationship. The withdrawal agreement is a legal way in which 
a country leaves, it has to be a legal document because you have to be able to say this is the grounds on which a country is leaving. The reason that we asked for the Irish issue to be part of that is because we felt it would be too difficult to negotiate in the future relationship. So in the same way that the citizens' rights and the financial settlement, it's by its very nature, the Article 50, the withdrawal agreement by its very nature legally is a temporary measure. It's how a country leaves the European Union. And so any discussion on whether it's a Norway, a Canada, a Canada plus plus, whatever kind of a future relationship we have, you can only really get into that detail in the future relationship. So if somebody in the the UK is saying, go back and renegotiate, we haven't actually even started that negotiation. The, the, The backstop is an insurance mechanism and not connected with the future relationship. So if the UK, if if the Prime Minister turned around tomorrow and said that's the kind of relationship we want, Mm -hmm. well then we would obviously have to sign off on the withdrawal agreement or they would have to ratify it. And from the very first day, from the 1st of April next year, we could then sit down and say, okay, what kind of a future relationship are we looking at? If it is some sort of a model like that, that's when you negotiate. During that two to four year transition period. During that two to four, but, but without the withdrawal treaty being ratified, obviously, you know, we we need to be able to move on to that stage and that's what we want to do because we we don't want to implement uh, the backstop. It's not our first priority, but I I think that gets lost in the conversation and this is why the Prime Minister was seeking the reassurances that she was. I think we've given them to her, but obviously she now has to go home. We have to see how this plays out. We know that there won't be a vote next week, so it's going to be in the new year. Um, And obviously depending on when that vote is and what happens. Okay. I think we need to, to, to focus then. But of course, we're continuing our own preparations at home. And just mm-hmm. to say, finally, the fifth paragraph of the conclusions last night calls for the Council for all countries to step up their work on preparedness. And next week, we'll see the Commission on Wednesday publish a whole suite of pieces of legislation that would be required if there was a no-deal scenario. So all of that work is going on in the background but obviously what we want and hope is that the Prime Minister can get this through. All right. Well, Minister, thank you very much indeed for taking some time out uh, to speak to us uh, during those very busy negotiations from Brussels. Uh, That's uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you're in the supermarkets in the run-up to Christmas, I'm sure you'll see some good offers on alcohol. You can buy a slab of beer, 20 cans for €20. That's a a euro a can for some of the top brands. Uh, There's sales on spirits and all sorts of things uh, because a a lot of people will be buying drink uh, to celebrate uh, the festive season. It may be the last time, though, that you'll be able to do that with the introduction of minimum pricing. But... Uh, according to a survey by iReach, uh, some people don't agree with this. In fact, 44% of people believe that the government shouldn't interfere in how alcohol is priced. And we're joined by Eunan McKinney, who's uh, the Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. Does that come as a, a surprise to you, Eunan? Not really, Mike. Thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, not really. I mean, I think that most people, generally speaking, have a have a kind of an aversion to government, you know, interfering with the price of many things. But, of course, government does interfere with the price of alcohol already by virtue of the fact that it places excise duty on alcohol. And um, so we do pay a price for that and it, it, at, at a certain level anyway. So 40, 44% saying that they don't interfere, don't, don't like people interfering with the price of alcohol. Call it a bit like I'd say they don't like the price 
mm. government interfere with the price of cars either. Okay, but for people getting in the drink for Christmas uh, and mm. uh, they're paying 20 euro for 20 cans, uh, mm. after the introduction of minimum pricing, how much will the 20 cans be? Well, it, it's, it's, I think it's actually 24 cans for 20. Oh, is it? 20. Oh, wow, very <laughs> good, right, yeah. For yeah. 20 euros. And in fact, yeah, so it's even, less than a euro. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's about 83 cents or so, right. because mm-hmm. even before, before, before December, mm-hmm. you could actually buy two slabs for 25 euros. So that's right. how great it was. Oh, my God. But, yeah, exactly, cheaper than milk at that point, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, I mean, those, those, typical, those typical slabs are available for about 24 euros um, uh, or 28 euros, and they would be, in that in that particular instance, they would be thirty over thirty, nearly thirty eight euros. Thirty eight euros. Yeah. Oh my God! So you're talking yeah. double the price. Yeah, exactly. In that instance, yeah, because what they're happening, what they're doing there is they're ch- selling those products exceptionally tre- cheap, as we just talked about. How is that a good thing? How is that a good thing? Yeah. To sell it that cheaply, I don't. No. Agree. Uh, how is it a good thing to double the price of something? Well, because in that instance, I mean, that's just a, that's just one anomaly. But most people buy beer in the context of eight units, you know, in the, or four units. Ah, most people will be getting in a few drinks. If they'll have family around yeah, the whole lot. Yeah, mostly in those sort yeah, of units. Yeah, I mean, yeah. these, these big slab of beers is particularly targeting at a, at a, at a young cohort. Not at all. Sure, in the run-up to Christmas, everybody gets in uh, a bit of drink. Sure, you'd have friends, family, neighbours. God knows who'll call in. You'd need to have a drink in the house. Well, indeed, but, you're, but in the context of if, if you choose to have that, most people wouldn't have that level of alcohol in the house. But they wouldn't have 20 cans in the house. Are you serious? They would, they would chan- chancely probably buy 8 or 12. Oh, they'd have eight, eight, 8 cans for the and Christmas for themselves, for themselves, their cheaper. family, their friends, their neighbours. Yeah, well, that's, that's possibly true. But what, 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 in the context of the minimum unit pricing, what that's endeavouring to do is to target those I t- particular... I, t- I take it you don't have many parties, do you? Well, we do have some parties, yeah. We do yeah. have some parties, mm. yeah. We wouldn't be necessarily buying in slabs of beer, all right. You'd have, you'd have eight cans of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, but to go back to the point about minimum unit pricing, what, what this survey actually identifies is that there are about 20% no. of people who say that they wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't make them buy less. Yeah, does this not just highlight how stupid the whole thing is? No, because actually what that does, what that demonstrates is exactly what it's intended to do. Yeah. Um, so make- I was quite encouraged when I saw that, uh, in so much mm. as that, well, first and foremost, to go back to your earlier point, 44% believe the government should interfere. That wouldn't, that wouldn't bother you, because I think that's just mm. the same with any big thing in relation to the government's interference in the price of a product. But 20% of people saying that, they would, that MUP would make them buy less is about right, because essentially MUP, or minimum unit pricing, mm. were it introduced, and it's a long way from being introduced, let me, let me just say, we can come back to that in a second. But I mean, what it endeavours to do is to reduce alcohol consumption across the whole of population by 8%. 8%. So in the context of 20% saying that they're going to buy less, I'm quite encouraged by that. I think that that says, actually, this is exactly what is required, you know? All right, listen, happy Christmas. You too. <laughs> Squeezy on those slabs of beers now, Mike. All right, thank you indeed, as always. Cheers. That's uh, Una McKinney, Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. We had an email in from uh, a male listener in response to the interview at the top of the programme with Deputy Declan Bratnock just in relation to the gangland feud. And he says, given last night's attacks in the town and in particular Moneymore Estate, it's clear that the Gardaí are having absolutely no impact at all. It's now time for you to demand a full-time Garda patrol of Moneymore Estate. Nothing less will do. We are all living in fear like animals. It's an absolute disgrace. I sincerely hope you can get this implemented immediately. Loud County Council then should start rehoming the decent people of the estate who are in fear and who have no involvement with the gangs. It's no place to bring up children anymore. Right, uh, that's a, a resident in Moneymore, is it? Or does he didn't, say? Didn't no, he doesn't say. say it, but it was an get, email you'd certainly that came get the impression in. that it's somebody who's living in the estate, it wouldn't would. you? Yeah. Yes, it and would. it must be an awful place to live at the moment. And it has to be said because of a very small amount of people. It really is a minority. There's uh, some wonderful people who live in Moneymore. In fact, the vast majority of people who live in Moneymore. They are. are we, I'm sure you yeah, do, as yeah, I do, mm, know so mm, many. Mm, mm, and they are all very hard-working, decent people trying yeah. to get on with their mm. lives. Unfortunately, and not all of the residents are hard-working, decent people. There's a, a few, a small That's few right. who are causing this That's right. terrible, terrible situation. And not just in Moneymore, but across uh, the town. Uh, and the town has a, a reputation now that has spread far and wide. Uh, and uh, people uh, will talk about Drogheda in the same light that they would have talked uh, about Limerick and uh, Moneymore in uh, the same light uh, that uh, you'd have uh, spoken about uh, some of the estates like Moy Ross in Limerick. That's a, a name I suppose everybody in the country knows. People know Moneymore for the same reasons. Jimmy blames what's happening on the middle and higher class people who are buying the drugs and believes this is the cause of the problems and the softly, softly approach two drugs in this country which he feels is not helping. Yeah, Well, there may be some truth in that. Some people will say you'll never stop uh, the sale of uh, illegal drugs and maybe it makes the argument to legalise them. Pat from Dundalk says, let's get real. Ask the local superintendent in Drogheda how many squad cars and Gardaí are actually on duty every night. The Gardaí are not getting the support from the minister. I feel yesterday was literally a smokescreen and a PR exercise. An unfortunate turn of words and uh, an unfortunate turn of words. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
that I used earlier on about firefighting uh, because uh, the town was on fire once again last night. That's right. Mm. Three separate incidents, mm. Michael. Yeah. Moving from that then to your interview um, with Helen McEntee there, the Minister, mm, just Brexit, about Brexit, yeah. mm. yes, because we still have a lot coming in. On that, people genuinely concerned. Uh, Grania was in touch and asks, what more is Theresa May looking for mm. from the EU? Mm. There's no way there can be any backtracking on the backstop. That much has been made clear. So she needs to find a way forward mm. to persuade her own MPs to agree with her. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I'm really confused this morning, I have to say, following the interview with uh, Minister McEntee. Uh, we'll be speaking to David Cullinan and uh, I'll be asking him to try and make some sense of what the Minister said. Uh, I'm not doubting what the Minister said, uh, but it's not as I understood it. Uh, and I don't think it's as uh, it's being argued anyway, uh, which is uh, that these other options are possible, mm. this uh, Norway deal or uh, Canada Plus type deal are, are possible, that all they're doing now is agreeing to leave and then they'll negotiate uh, the terms afterwards. But uh, yeah, we'll see uh, what all of that means a little bit later if you stay with us. Mark phoned in to say that you really cannot predict what is going to happen in relation to Brexit, but says that in fairness to the Taoiseach, Simon Coveney and your guest Helen McEntee, they have been on top of this and they have worked hard to ensure that there will be no rowing back on the backstop. However, what concerns Mark is is that if there is a no-deal Brexit, well then, where is that going to leave us? Mm despite all the efforts. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, that's probably the worst possible scenario of all. Seamus from Dundalk says that it all comes down to what the UK Parliament really wants. Do they want to go without a deal or do they want to go with one? Mm. So that's as simple as that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't know. Uh, I think... Uh, it's it, it is as simple as that, and it is not as simple as that, or, or uh, anywhere near as simple as that. Because uh, I think the answer is they want a, a deal, uh, but not the deal that Europe is willing to give them. Why is it called a backstop? A texter wants to know <laughs> why that word. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know if that's the word that was used. Mm. Um, Michael, will you give it a rest? You don't have to be right all the time. How many more times must Minister McEntee explain things to you? Oh, well, I'd say quite a few more to understand them. It's not that I'm trying to be right. Uh, I'm not sure what point uh, the listener is picking up on there. I presume it was something specific, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, very hard to understand the, the negotiations uh, and why they've uh, hit such a stalemate at this stage. Uh, how much time is the UK going to be given on this? Sean wants to know. Is there a chance they could change their mind and decide not to leave the EU at all? Yes. There is that chance. Mm, yeah, and uh, it's within their gift, uh, as uh, we heard from the ruling from uh, the European Court of uh, Justice last week, uh, they can decide to pause or cancel the triggering of Article 50. They can revoke Article 50. John from Navin phoned in to say Micheál Martin was in prime time last night and he didn't seem too worried about Brexit or this country, just Fianna Fáil. Ah, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, a political point uh, from a member of another party. Maureen from Draw had a phoned in to say she was absolutely furious with you, Michael, the way you spoke to Imelda Munster when you had her on in relation to the Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and the name change. Felt you were very rude and uh, we certainly know what you think of the hospital name. 
Mm. says Maureen. Okay. And just yeah. as an add on, Michael, mm. because I... I, I, I don't know whether you spotted it on Twitter. There was a bit of Twitter chat about the show oh, was there? Uh, yesterday. Yeah, 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 and yeah. there was some suggestion, because I wasn't here yesterday reading the comments, mm. that because I had criticised you the day before, that I had been dispatched oh. to foreign lands. Well, you didn't criticise me, did you? Well, the listeners did. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, I read them yeah. out. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. wasn't me that was criticising ah, you. But we always read out the comments. That's, well, for that doesn't matter. There was yeah. a suggestion mm. that I was dispatched to oh, foreign lands right, because yeah. I did the Vox Pop and RD. Oh, right. And I wasn't here to read out the comments that I was somehow not let read out the comments <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but just to reassure mm. listeners that I wasn't sent away, mm, that okay. I actually was off. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be a, a hard job, I think, if uh, somebody tried to dispatch Marie Kearns. Uh, listen, we've had uh, some uh, bad news uh, to report uh, this morning. We've heard from Matthew McGreehan uh, again of Loud IFA. That's right. And uh, there's been uh, another sheep kill. This time, it's two lambs uh, that have been killed by dogs. Uh, this is in the Ballymascanlan area. Uh, and Matthew in touch uh, to say that he reckons that at this stage, five sheep farmers have had sheep killed on them in the last three weeks. Uh, and uh, we've been trying to get Matthew on to appeal to you again. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any point to it. Uh, but uh, in his absence, let us appeal to you to make sure that your dogs are locked up a- a- at night and that you know where they are and that they're on a lead and all of that sort of thing because they can kill and worry sheep. Moving on then to another caller yesterday, Fran, who phoned in to Ross to say, could we honestly tell him if the new pipeline from uh, the Boyne to Denora has been laid and is banking on us for the right answer? So in response to that, we did try and get the right answer by going directly to Irish Water. And their response is that they are, of course, investing a total of 19 million in the Drogheda South Loud and East Meath water supply scheme to upgrade the Stellene water treatment plant and to construct a new pipeline to replace the current ageing pipeline, which has burst twice in the past year. And that the upgrade of the treatment plant is progressing well. Completion works are on ongoing in relation to the replacement of the ageing pipeline, Michael, that's also mm-hmm. progressing well. And Irish Water is saying that they're confident of meeting the objective of completion of the pipeline before the end of the year. Oh, well, good. So good. Yeah, we'll watch yeah, that yeah, space. Yeah, so just yeah, to respond yeah. to the listener mm-hmm. there yeah, that yeah. we checked that out. Finally, I'll go mm-hmm. to a listener who got in touch about your interview yesterday with Councillor Mark Deary, I believe, in relation to climate change. Mm. And just uh, says, in relation to that interview, uh, I just want to ask how representatives from the 200 countries got to Poland for the climate change conference and how much carbon they all used getting there. Yeah, well, it's a very legitimate question and uh, part of uh, how complicated it is uh, to find realistic solutions uh, to the challenges uh, that we face. And uh, thanks for making that very good point, I think. Uh, We'll leave that there for the moment, though, and come back to some more of the comments, hopefully a little bit later on in the programme time allowing. But thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us and thanks, Marie, for bringing us those calls. If you'd like to add to what's been said, our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let's uh, talk about uh, the Brexit negotiations. Mrs May failing uh, to get any concessions uh, from uh, the European leaders in uh, Brussels. And we're joined by David Cullinan to talk about this uh, because uh, one has to wonder why she'd be looking for concessions after listening to the Minister for European Affairs who told us this morning that if the draft withdrawal agreement is implemented, it would mean that the United Kingdom would leave 
the European Union on the 31st of March. Then there would be a two to four year transition period. And during that time, it's open to negotiate a Norway type deal or a Canada plus type deal. So where's the problem, do you think? Hi, Michael. Um, well, I don't know where the problem is from the British side. Um, I've always said that uh, the backstop is only an insurance policy for Ireland. It's unlikely the backstop would come into play if the trade deal between Britain and the European Union was agreed because I believe that the trade arrangement that will come into play and has to come into play for Britain would involve Britain essentially staying in the customs union and potentially elements of the single market. That's what the Labour Party in Britain want. It's what the Scottish Nationalists want. It's what Clyde Cymru want. But obviously what we're seeing is a civil war in the Tory party. And you have to bear in mind that the Prime Minister of Britain wasn't looking for some sort of tweak on the backstop. And the hard Brexiteers are not looking for some sort of minor change. They don't want the backstop because they don't want Britain to stay either in the customs union or single market. And what we're seeing is the type of fantasy Brexit that some in the hard ways of the Tory party believed they could get, where they could have all of the benefits of being a member of the European Customs Union and having some sort of free trade arrangement, but not have any of the obligations and also then negotiate third-party trade deals with other countries. That was never going to be a possibility. That was said from the very start. So essentially, Michael, what we're seeing is that fantasy politics still being played out in the Tory party. And the rest of us are sitting there with a deal on the table and looking to get that deal passed because it's in the best interest, in my view, of not just people in Ireland, but also people in Britain. But I I think people will find this very confusing in that we're listening to British politicians telling Mrs May to go back to Europe and renegotiate and come back with a a Norway-type deal or a Canada Plus-type deal. Well, first of all, there was never meant to be a full... Uh, shaped out uh, future trading relationship agreed as part of the withdrawal agreement. And what's happening is that people are conflating the two processes. The withdrawal Intentionally, agreement, is it? No, the withdrawal agreement is essentially the nuts and bolts of Britain leaving the European Union. Mm. And what was built into the withdrawal agreement was what's called the implementation uh, period, mm. uh, which would mean that Britain would stay in the... Uh, Uh, customs union and single market up up until 2020 and they would have that time period to negotiate the free trade agreement. And that might be extended by another couple of years Uh, but when the issues are being conflated is it intentionally conflated by British politicians who are telling Mrs May to go back and renegotiate a a Norway type deal or whatever it is? Yes, it's been been conflated in my view by the hard breaks of ears of the Tory party who don't want a Norway-type trade agreement, nor um, a Canada-type trade agreement. What they sought from the very start was that Britain would have a free trade agreement, but they could also not adhere to the four freedoms in terms of the free movements of capital and labour and people, uh, that they could get out of the four freedoms, but also Mm. have a free trade agreement, which would be essentially uh, something similar to being in the customs union. But then separate from all the other countries in Europe, go and negotiate other trade agreements. That was never going to be allowed. It was never going to be possible. So I think the only solution here, Michael, is is an obvious one. Uh, and that is that they do negotiate now and bring forward the negotiations on that future trading relationship, mm. put more flesh on the bones of what that would look like, and then put both propositions... But can that happen? Can, I mean, uh, the minister was telling us this morning that cannot happen until after they've left, until the 1st of April, unfortunately. Uh, well, given no, the, the treaty can only come into effect after they've left. So I think what's the most likely outcome is that 
uh, Westminster will seek an extension of Article 50. That mm. would buy more time. No, but, I think. But, but agreeing the terms for the future relationship cannot happen until they've left, can it? No, no, that can be done at any time. I mean, it can't come into play. I mean, there's a difference between it legally coming into effect because that would mean essentially another legal treaty okay. between but Britain that's a, and the that, European that, Union. So, well, that seems really simple. So well, why it, don't they do it? it? It's, it's only really simple to people who are applying logic to this. It's not simple if you're a hard Brexit. You have to remember that we have people in the Tory party who want a different type of Brexit, mm. which is about deregulation, about uh, undoing all of the protections for workers, for example, having a race to the bottom, and being able to undermine and undercut the rest of the countries in the European Union mm. in terms of standards. But, of we've 28, but we've 28 of the most powerful people in the world involved in this, the 28 European Union leaders. Uh, why don't they brush these Brexiteers aside and set about formulating an agreement for a future relationship so that well, people will understand what we're talking about? I can understand your frustration, Michael, but here's the point. The 28 member states have always made it clear and this was made clear by the European negotiators, that they are more than willing to put in place a Norway-style agreement or a Canada-style agreement with Britain. It is Britain who is reluctant at this point in time. And Theresa May was reluctant to to overly set out what that future trading relationship would be. Uh, And that's a matter for British politicians. Mm. The European Union is not holding back any negotiations on a future trading relationship. What was agreed in the political declaration was that there would be some sort of future trading relationship. But that has to be obviously fleshed out. My point is that, and I share your sense of frustration, mm. why can't it just happen? That's the only logical solution here, that we okay. do that, we bring well, that there's, forward. There's two other solutions, whether they're... Uh, the problem. There's two other solutions, obviously, whether they're illogical or, or, or not, is another day's work. Uh, one is that they crash out of the European Union and there's a hard border on this island. Uh, and then there's uh, the third solution, that Great Britain crashes out. Uh, and that the United Kingdom is broken up and that Northern Ireland uh, becomes part of a united Ireland or a reunited Ireland. And uh, this is uh, something that your party leader was suggesting polling people on in the Dáil this week. Well, what we said, Michael, is that we have to plan for every eventuality. And the prospect of a hard crash, I believe, is still the most unlikely uh, option of all of the options. But it is a possibility. And if that was to happen, and bear in mind we're talking now about a hard crash by Britain and the North out of the European Union, an immediate hard border with World Trade Organization rules applying, of course we would have to look then at putting the question of a border poll to the people of the North. All of the opinion polls have shown that in such a scenario, a majority of people in the North would vote for a United Ireland. But we are not talking up, mm. nor do we want a hard crash. Now you are talking up the idea of a poll. Uh, uh, I think the Taoiseach was very critical of Mary Lou Macdonald saying uh, that it uh, was uh, raising an issue that would be very unhelpful and would uh, cause uh, concern in the North amongst unionists. Well, I think the Taoiseach was playing politics in his response. And if I can just say that the circumstances in which Mary Lou talked about a border poll in the short term, in the immediate short term, is, is if... British politicians are reckless enough to have a hard crash out of the European Union that would force an immediate hard border on the people of Ireland. And if the opinion polls, which they are, show that a majority of people would then vote for United Ireland, of course that should be one of the uh, um, uh, one of the proposals put on the table. Mm. I mean, you're talking to a, a member of an Irish Republican Party who wants a United Ireland, 
we would always welcome a border. Well, you'll get it. You'll get it. Uh, According to Theresa May, it seems you will get it if they crash out. Well, we want to get it irrespective of whether there's a crash, irrespective of of the type of Brexit. We've been very clear that in the lifetime of the next Assembly election, and the priority has to to be the Assembly being put back up again in the North, we want the border poll anyway. Mary Lou's point is that if there was a hard crash, that should be brought forward. But we don't want a hard crash. You have to realise that a hard crash would be would create chaos for businesses, chaos for farmers north and south. What we want is the backstop, the withdrawal agreement. In fact, what we want is what we just spent the last five minutes discussing, the future trading relationship between Britain and the European Union agreed, and the type of arrangement that we now have for the north, where the north would stay in the customs union and elements of the single market. If that applies to Britain as a whole, if that's put in place uh, shortly after the withdrawal agreement, uh, is agreed uh, in March next year. That is the best outcome for everybody, for Britain and for Ireland. That's what we want. Okay. Uh, so we're not focused on a hard crash. We're not talking it up. We don't want it. Uh, but we obviously have to be mindful of the fact that it is a possibility. And if that possibility, unlikely as it is, was to happen, then of course, at that point, if there was a majority of people in the North saying, I want a United Ireland, that would have to be put to the people. Okay, well, very little has changed this week. Things may change next week if uh, the Labour Party table a, a confidence motion in uh, the government, and they may not. Uh, but uh, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme today. That is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on Brexit, David Cullinan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Friday for our review of the contributions made in Leinster House this week by TDs and Senators from Counties Louth and Meath. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Here's our parliamentary correspondent, Ken Murray. Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Louth Meath Oireachtas Report. We begin our roundup this week with a contribution made in the Dole on Wednesday. Independent TD for Meath West, Pather Tobin, told the House that more people leave County Meath than any other county every day to work in Dublin. He asked Transport Minister Shane Ross when the rail line to Navan will be developed. Meath has a population now approaching a quarter of a million people. It's the fastest growing population in the country and is now the most, one of the most populous counties uh, in the country as well. It has the highest number of commuters per capita. And the majority of workers this morning left the county to go to work. And that happens in no other county in the country. Meath is unique in that fact. And we also commute the furthest of any county in the country. And yet Navin is the biggest town in the country without a rail line. When will the rail line to Meath be built? Meath County Council, in collaboration with the NTA, is currently progressing the development of a bus hub as provided for by the transport strategy. Importantly... Transport strategy clearly states that the issue of a rail link to Navan should be kept under review, taking into account the scale of new and planned development along the route. The strategy also clearly states that the corridor previously identified for a Navan rail link should be protected from development. The ongoing feud in Drogheda was raised in the Dáil on Thursday. Fianna Fáil TD Declan Brannock raised the matter with Antonista Simon Coveney. Since July, we have nothing on a series of shootings, kidnappings, intimidation, petrol buying incendiary devices and the latest today is a threat to two named Gardaí on their lives. This is getting absolutely out of control despite the best efforts of Angarda Shekhana. I want to know when are we going to be able to deal with these pressure cookers that by the way are a, are a microcosm of what is happening 
in smaller degrees in our towns and villages across this country. I want to know what are we doing about it. Well, I mean, you know, and Garda have shown themselves to have the capacity to, to deal with dangerous feuding criminals. They've done that in Limerick very successfully and they will be able to do it in Drada too. Uh, and any resources they need or any increased powers that they need to be able to do that job, uh, the government will be working very closely with them to make sure that they get it. The government is looking closely at putting in place a pricing structure for student accommodation. Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Me, the West, Damien English, told it all on Wednesday that this issue is being addressed and indicated that positive developments are on the way. The government recognises that rent increases in certain student-specific accommodation are also given rise to significant concern and that it is important that the government should actively address barriers to education and are limited to the choice of educational course pursued. My department is working with the Department of Education and Skills and with Minister uh, Mitchell O'Connor to examine the wide range of student accommodation types and auxiliary services available with a view to considering the issue of pricing, including if appropriate new regulatory or legislative proposals, and there's a commitment to do that in the bill coming forward as well. The local government bill was discussed in the Dáil during the week, which aims to address the management of certain local authorities. Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, told the House that it's totally unacceptable that a town the size of Drogheda does not have its own local authority. Whether you have a me jersey or a loud jersey on you, if you want to go to a decent school in Drogheda or in East Mead, you have a choice. If you want to go to a shopping centre, you have a choice. You know, that your infrastructure, your recreation, your amenities, all of those things have to be proper planned, properly planned for. But at the end of the day, Minister, there is a demand in my town for Drogheda to be in control of its own destiny and to have its own council with full, proper powers. And it is unacceptable, it is unacceptable to me and it's unacceptable to the citizens of my town that we have a population greater than the population of the wonderful county of Longford and I wish them well, or indeed the county of Leitrim. They have their infrastructure, they have their chief executive officers, they have their planners, they have their engineers, they're very, every damn thing, except the population that we have. We've got nothing, absolutely nothing. Concerns over the level of protections for teachers in the language college sector were raised by Fianna Fáil TD Thomas Byrne on Thursday. He sought a response from Antonista Simon Coveney. The QQA bill is winding its way through the channels at the moment. Now, unfortunately, the Education Committee had anticipated that it would conduct a stakeholder engagement. And because the government moved into the channels very quickly, that wasn't able to happen. Now, I'm just uh, asking for what the government's proposals are in relation to this legislation. We're not satisfied uh, uh, with the protections uh, offered to teachers uh, in the uh, language uh, college sector at the moment uh, in this bill. Uh, we're not satisfied with the level of engagement that the government has engaged the on this. And can I uh, get a confirmation from the government that they will agree uh, to a full stakeholder engagement in the Education Committee before this comes to the Dáil? Uh, and it should be noted that we will not be supporting the passage of the Dáil that bill without that stakeholder engagement. Deputy, I'll get Minister McHugh to come back to you directly on that. Proposals to rename Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda were raised in the Senate and the Dáil during the week. Speaking on Tuesday, Labour Senator Jed Nash said the name should be retained as a mark of respect to those who built it in the first place. This hospital was built, as you might know, Minister, by the Medical Missionaries of Mary, by Mother Mary Martin. Its bricks were financed uh, by the people of Drogheda. There would be no hospital in Drogheda were it not for the vision of the Medical Missionaries of Mary. This is an historical fact that just can't be airbrushed out in a rebranding campaign. Uh, one doesn't have to be uh, a practising Catholic to understand and appreciate uh, the abiding legacy of the medical missionaries of Mary. And thankfully there is no longer 
a Roman Catholic ethos in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. That hasn't been the case since the hospital transferred uh, to state ownership through the North Eastern Health Board back in 1997. But that legacy, whether one agrees uh, with the religious perspective of the founders or not, ought to be honoured, and the name of the hospital should remain. It's part of our identity as Drogheda people. Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster told the Dáil on Tuesday that people in Drogheda are outraged at plans to change the name. Name change to Our Lady of Lords Hospital by hospital management without any prior public consultation whatsoever. Our Lady of Lords Hospital was, was founded and built by the medical missionaries of Mary and the hospital build in fact was funded by the people of Drogheda over many years through fundraisers and weekly door-to-door collections would you believe and the people are absolutely outraged at the fact of this proposed name change without any public consultation and the, uh, the hospital manager has said that it was time for, for real change but surely it would serve them better to concentrate um, and, and affect any real change by curbing hospital waiting lists or indeed providing the second uh, badly needed x-ray room. Taoiseach, the people of Drogheda want to be consulted on this. They deserve to be consulted on it. And will you or the Minister for Health contact management at the hospital and ask them to engage in a public consultation process so that the people can have their right. say on their hospital? Thank you, Deputy. During the same debate, Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick said any attempt to change the name would insult the legacy of the medical missionaries of Mary. The HSE aims to dispose of the recognition name of a lady of Lewis Hospital in Jordan. The name was established through the legacy of its founder, Mother Mary Maud, a pioneer and instigator of hospitals and maternity service in the North East. Changing the name, I feel, revokes the legacy of the vision of its founder and her achievements in providing maternity service where there was none before the unnecessarily box ticket exercise has been railroaded through with no consultation with the people of Jordan and loud stripping house and culture. This attempt to whitewash a legacy could begin a slippery slope to give it of more historic names, objects and, land- and landmarks that some might offend right, are you, not Deputy. seen as progressive. Names are powerful and, and have meanings. They are linked to our past generation, culture, honour and history. Thank you, the hospital was named by, Mary, by Mother Mary Martin in honour of a blessed lady and should remain so in the honour of... Uh, Mother Mary Martin and the community that helped to build, run and maintain this Lady of Lewis Hospital in Jordan. In response, the Taoiseach Leo Radker said this is not a government matter, but a local one. There's nothing in, in the programme for government or in legislation on this matter, but uh, I appreciate it's um, uh, a matter of great concern to uh, the deputies from County Loud. And uh, I know no matter what the name is officially, the Lords will always be the Lords. Um, for people in Drada, and uh, I agree that it would be appropriate for uh, management to consult with local reps and the local community before making any change. A change doesn't require government approval, um, but it is a hospital that serves a community, and I think it's right that the community should be involved uh, in any decision to change the name. And that response from Antishok Leo Varadkar concludes our Loud Me, the Oroctus summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the House of the Oroctus Weekly Report. Thanks, Ken. And Ken Murray should have another loud me, the Oroctus Report, for us in around the same time on next Friday's programme. The reports are brought to you by the House of the Oroctus. Now, as you've been hearing, five sheep farmers have had animals killed on them in the last uh, three weeks. Matthew McGreehan, uh, Louth IFA Rural Development Chairman, is on the line. Good morning, Matthew, and thanks for contacting us uh, again with uh, this terrible news. Two lambs in the latest incident. Yes, Michael, thanks. Yes, here we are again. Fifth fifth uh, dog attack on five different farmers in the last 
three weeks, Aidan Barry, the most latest uh, dog attack, Aidan Barry had uh, two lambs killed last night in the major trial area of Ballymascanlan and uh, Aidan had about 200 lambs and in, in these, these lambs would be born in, in the springtime but they're still lambs uh, Aidan had 200 lambs in the field and you know they're all severely traumatised and the, these lambs were destined for, for the market you know so this will have a f- severe impact on, on the remaining 198 lambs as well you know mm. So it will. Uh, well, well, just, just explain that to me, Matthew. What does it do? Does it? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it scares the living daylights out of them. But uh, does it uh, affect their development, or do, what other effect does it have? It, 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 you said it there, and one, it just scares the living daylights out of them, and, and, and it can get hard for them to to, to thrive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important for them that these lambs would continue to thrive, and it just can set set them back, basically. You know, and that's just it. Mm. You know, we. Um, but so two dead, and the value of two hundred uh, has been reduced. Oh, it will. Yeah, it'll have an, it'll have a financial impact. And this is like Aidan's livelihood. It's sheep farmers' livelihood. Yeah. So we're speaking mm. here. I did speak to the dog warden this morning. Uh, he told me that they'd be stepping up patrols in the area, and they, 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 they were talking to the guards as well. In the areas concerned, uh, we spoke to the warden. They said they'd be lifting dogs, uh, whether they're after sheep or not. If the dogs are not under effective control, and they said that fines uh, can run into hundreds of euros. Is this know. typical? I mean, does this happen every year? <coughs> it happen. It can happen. You can go through a few months mm. and, 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 and and not have a dog attack in there, and then it can just. But this is a know, bad space, is it? Oh, it's a sure. It sure is. Yeah, but Michael, this is happening all over the the county. Mm. You know, and all over the country. Yeah, there's not. And it's know, awful. Out. I mean, it's yeah. obviously awful, and I, I know that. But it, it, it's more awful than it usually is. It is. It is an our yeah, area, yeah. yeah. But I remember mm-hmm. last, last, just this time last year as well. It, it was the same. You know what I mean? But Michael, sheep, sheep farmers like they have to be vigilant, and the, and their neighbours too have to be vigilant and look out for at ask neighbours. You know that has sheep beside them to to look out for 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 their farm their neighbouring farmer sheep, and that farmers are well within their rights to shoot a dog if the dog is attacking the sheep or coming from attack coming from an attack mm. or if they believe the dog is going to an attack. You know, that's that's what the legislation says, you know. Yeah. I I, I bet people would have something to say about a farmer if he did shoot a dog. The weed, yeah, yeah. Mm. They could be they could be on the show and giving out about the sheep. Uh, yeah. I heard on another radio station there recently, you know, uh, but again, it's a I funny mindset, people, though. Do you know what I mean? You know that people yeah. would say, "Oh, how could you do that to a dog? How could you let a dog do that to another animal, to another That's living right. thing?" Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Like, as I said before, Michael, yeah. farmers don't want to be shooting dogs. It's the last thing we want to do. You know what I mean? When the business are looking after stock, we don't want to to to, to be shooting dogs like that. We have dogs ourselves. We know, you know, we know mm. the attachment that. Uh, you know, people have the dogs, and it's certainly not we not what we want to do. But mm. those people that have dogs, if they could only see the damage that is caused by by dogs, you know. And I'm sure they tell you, well, we're not letting the dog do that. Uh, but is doing nothing the same as letting the dog doing it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not ma- not making sure that your dog is locked up, uh, not keeping them on a lead, and all that. Uh, is, is it the same thing as setting your dog on the sheep? Yeah, like a dog is supposed to, on the law, a dog is supposed to be kept on the effective control, you know. And mm. a dog that's wandering about, you know, good chance they'll get into mischief, you know, and they can get into mischief in a very short space of time if you take your eye off them. It's in their nature. It's only, you know, it's in their nature for a lot of dogs mm. to, to, 
to, to, to wander off and, and, and have a bit of sport, you know. All right, well, we can only appeal to people to make sure that their dogs are under control or hope that the warden lifts them or that a, a, yeah. a farmer shoots them uh, before they kill sheep, yeah. uh, uh, if that is necessary. And hopefully yeah. it won't be because people will look after their dogs. All right, Matthew, we'll leave it there. This time, uh, talk to you soon, I'm sure, by the sounds of things. Uh, but thanks uh, this time uh, and for joining us again. Matthew McGreehan is uh, the IFA Rural Development Chairman in Louth. Michael Reed on LMFM. The cost of renting continues uh, to rise, according to the Residential Tenancies Board. Its latest report for the third quarter of this year shows an increase of 7.5%, slightly down from 7.8% in quarter two, but rent is at its highest level ever in this country. The average across the country now at €1,122 a month. Whenever these statistics come out, I always take a look at lovely Leitrim. And if you are renting somewhere, you may be amazed to know that the average cost of renting in Leitrim is €518. Why is that? Well, the answer may be in the report, which says that a majority of the renters are concentrated in the large population centres near jobs, education and amenities. Price pressures are greatest in these areas. And there's six counties in this country where the standardised average rent exceeds €1,000 a month. Dublin, Wicklow, Cork, Galway, Kildare, and Mead. In County Mead, the average cost of renting is now €1,063. We're joined by Nick Killian, an independent councillor. And of course, Nick, uh, we know at this stage that that's an average and that people in places like Kells are paying far less than they are in Ashburn, where uh, typically you'll pay Dublin rents, uh, where the average is now around €1,600. Good morning, Michael. Yes, you're right. I mean, things really haven't changed all that much. In fact, I that figure, as you said, is an average. If you take what the DAFT report said uh, a couple of weeks ago, it said the average rent in need was 1,288, which is a 12.8% increase over this time last year. But the actual fact, even of talking about Kells, Old Castle, that boy, or the north of the county, the facts now are there are very little rental properties available in those towns because I get people coming to me mm who are willing to move to Navan and up further, but they're simply not available. And the rents are actually beginning to climb in in Kells and, you know, in, in the Atboy, Old Castle general area. So that just shows you that people are actually prepared to move further out to get rental accommodation. Are you encouraged by the latest attempt to put manners on landlords, if it can be put that way, to uh, reduce uh, this es- escalating scale of increases. Uh, the government is talking about fines of up to €30,000 and a, a criminal sanction for people who breach the rent pressure zone limits uh, and uh, that there would be also be a register uh, so you'd know uh, what your neighbours are, are paying and what the previous tenant paid. I'd be fully supportive of the rent register. I think that ha- that's something that could be brought in very easily. I don't think it needs legislation to do that. Um, the fines in that, you know, we, we can give out all we like about landlords and God knows I, I do it every day of the week. But uh, one of the things that's happening uh, at the moment and I find from talking to people who are renting and coming to me, landlord, some landlords, the ones that need to be fined and need to be outed, are the ones who are coming to people, particularly families, and saying, I'm increasing your rent by €100 next month. You better pay it. 
they can't go to the residential tenancies board or to threshold or anybody to complain because of the fear factor that they've nowhere else to go. I have a family at the moment who unfortunately where the Mm. landlord is coming back into the house, the family coming up to Christmas have actually no, the family actually had nowhere to go. Now they have their family will look after them. But you have a situation where, you know, people, a lot of, I think one of the major things in the report from yesterday from the RTB basically was the fact the the number of landlords who are actually selling their properties and getting out of renting. Mm. And I would meet single landlords. I, I, I meet very few who have lots of properties and they're all saying that as soon as they can, they want out mm. because it's the RTB, the rules, the regulations yeah, are creating I, problems for well, them. Well, HAP seems to be a big problem, doesn't it, for landlords? Well, you see, HAP, is the, HAP they, they don't want to take HAP. Well, with good if, reason. If, if a landlord we're, we're, doesn't want to take well, good reason. he's not registered. Because because they mm. have to go back and pay all the all the time. Well, no, a lot of landlords that don't take up, they're mm. the ones we need to be watching because but they're the a, ones there's good that reason. are not registered. But, well, yeah, okay, but there's good reason for not wanting to take up, isn't there? I mean, you could uh, effectively lose a month's rent. You possibly could. Yeah. You, yes, you, you actually can lose a month's rent. Mm. And you, because but, mo- but mo- you, most people pay their rent. rent in advance and half pays it at the end of the month. Uh, and, then, and then they come along and they inspect uh, premises uh, and they ask you to do what most people would think are stupid things, unnecessary yeah. things. I mean, I seen a report yesterday that a landlord actually gave me, um, and some of the stuff in it was absolutely daft. Now, this landlord had a property in Dublin, um, and the amount of it was all to do with ventilation. Yeah. I'd say, to any landlord, make sure your ventilation is right in your bathroom, that's, and that you have your um, various alarms and that around the house. Mm. It's all small stuff, mm. but ridiculous stuff, and it's putting pressure on landlords. But you're like, but you could think, be you could be living in a house yourself for twenty years, or Ten years or whatever, and for whatever reason you move out, you might get married and move in somewhere else and rent the place out, and it's not good enough. It's not, and I'm sure if your house and my house was yeah. examined, oh, all sure. those, hope. All those yeah. the hope in hell. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we we still have. I mean, Meath County Council has to date this year a thousand and one new applicants. Mm. So that's a thousand and one new why, applicants what, what, that are out there looking for rental accommodation. Why not just be sensible about it? You know, like, I mean, if you're going to give somebody um, rent allowance, pay the rent, don't sort of uh, renege on a month, you know, let on uh, that this is fair when it's not. Uh, and don't ask people to do things that are just stupid. Oh, that's the system that's been brought in. And it's quite an onerous system, both for the tenant and because I, I would tell a lot of tenants mm. would come to me and ask me for help with the forms. And lately, I'm actually getting landlords coming and they're saying, Nick, for God's sake, can you get me head? I can't get my head around this. Mm. Can you try and help me fill out the form? You know, and it's all to do with tax. It's all to do with mm. tax clearance. In the middle of a crisis, they yes. complicate it. Well, we have made life difficult for ourselves. I mean, the other daft situation is if you come to me uh, as, as a county councillor, I cannot get on to me, the county councillor, and make a, uh, a call on your behalf unless you sign a form for me to give me permission <laughs> to do it. Yeah. That is how crazy this uh, world has got with GDPR. Now, I know there's people out there will cry wolf on that, that one. But at the end of the day, we're still not building enough houses. Mead County Council have only built 40 houses themselves this year. We have probably 400 in the pipeline looking forwards to next year and the year after. But after that, we're, we, you know, we're now running, as, a, as you know, I've said it before on your show, Michael, the land. So the problem is not going to go away. And um, rebuilding Ireland 
there's great targets and great strategies in it, but we're not delivering fast enough. Okay. There are houses being built, thank God. That's the one thing that you will see around both Louth and Meath at the moment. All right, Nick, I have to leave it there. I've run over time, but thank Can you. Can I indeed. say something very quickly very to you, Michael? Quickly, yeah. yeah I live in Clonalvi and we're losing our post office here after Christmas and we're also losing our local shop. I just want to thank the McGuinness family who have kept that shop going, who have kept the post office going. Our numbers in our school are small and again, a village so close to Dublin is going to die because of the fact of what's happening here with post offices closing. I think it's an awful sin. It's happened already in Meath. But I just want to wish the McGuinness family every happiness for the future and thank them for the service they've given to the people of this area. Thank you indeed, Independent Councillor Nick Killian. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hope you have a lovely weekend and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 